Hello, welcome to Dr. Hallowell's wonderful world of different. Today we have a young guest, a an 18-year-old young man who right now attends my old high school, Phillips Exeter Academy, a prep school up in New Hampshire, where I graduated in 1968. Justin is on track to graduate in 2023. Is that correct, Justin? Yep. Yes, sir, that is. I can do a little bit of arithmetic without using my fingers. The reason I was so keen to have Justin come on the podcast is he, in only 18 years old, has already led three or four lives. <laughs> he has the wonderful condition, so misleadingly called ADHD. And I wanted him to tell us about it from the perspective of, of an 18-year-old who is on his way to uh, quite an adventure in life. I don't want to steal his uh, lines, and I want him to tell you himself. Since you can't see him, I can tell you he's a very handsome dude, rugged good looks, and ready to tell us about his amazing brain and life so far. So just jump in, Justin, and, and uh, tell us in what way are you different? Well, you already mentioned it. Uh, I, I certainly have ADHD. They figured that when I was uh, quite young. I also have a little bit of dyslexia, although the... Uh, main shtick that I got stuck with was ADHD, and they spotted that when I was fairly young. My father, he has the same condition as I do, and so him watching me run around and then talking with his mother, my grandmother, made the conclusion very, very long, this kid's got ADHD, he's kind of like me. So that's where it started. And what does it mean to you, this thing? Because ADHD is such a terrible term. What does it mean to you? What is it? I think attention deficit hyperactive disorder the only part that I agree with that title would be the hyperactive bit. We are very high energy people. We need a lot of stimulation. And I, uh, I quite like that. And so I think whereas a normal individual is quite content with certain low stimulation activities, ADHD, we, we operate at a much higher RPM. The way that I think about it and the way that my mom explained it to me when I was uh, a lot younger was we're like a jet turbine. If you run a jet turbine at a certain certain speed, it's going to stall out and the plane's going to crash. You have to be going fast enough for that engine to be of any use to anybody. So the biggest difference to me is that I just, I need to be doing high stimulation, kind of high energy activities. And if I'm not, then I stall and I crash. So it's just about, uh, you know, understanding how I'm different in that way and then learning how to operate and work around it. Now, tell us some of the ways that you've found high stimulation. Yeah. So immediately, I can't remember a time when I didn't do sports. I think my earliest memory of physical activity was running with my father, singing old Marine Corps hymns as like a, a five-year-old. We'd run around. He'd always take me to run around the block and we'd have a good time doing that. And, you know, I guess past that, my formal start, if you will, was uh, with Kung Fu. I did Kung Fu most of middle school. I did it for a few years. I started doing that. And then I made sure to do, uh, I did soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, and in the spring, it was kind of a bit of a toss-up. Sometimes I'd be doing tennis, sometimes I think I tried swimming at one point, but the point is, one of the chief ways that I found to make sure that I always had some sort of stimulation was I, I'd always be doing sports, always be doing something physical, even if that was just going for a run of my own accord. You know, I was always always doing something. And you, you found your way to Iceland at one point, is that correct? Oh, yeah. So I guess this is more about the seeking out high stimulation activities. I'm sure many of your listeners and, and many kids 
when we found ourselves at the start of the pandemic and things shifted from in-person academics to completely online and Zoom, that was hard for pretty much almost everybody. I mean, a few people were absolutely thrilled to be at home and just kind of sit on their computers and read all day, which if that suits them, that's great. It does not suit me. No. And so having starting in March is when we started the online bits. And then after that, we were pretty much stuck there for the rest of the year. I know of a few people in Texas who went back to school, but for the most part, everyone, everyone in my community at boarding school was online. And that was just terrible for me. I love people as part of my, my stimulation, if you will, it keeps me happy with my ADHD. And I love just kind of moving in between classes and doing that, but sitting still, that just about killed me. And so what we did instead, when Exeter, they sent out an email and they I said, hey, we're going to plan to do pretty much all online for the next year because of this COVID thing. We don't have it all figured out yet and we don't have vaccines. And so my father and I looked at each other and said, this is going to kill you. Is there any other alternative that we can do so I don't waste my money and you don't waste your time? And so we started exploring contingency plans. And that led us to this little clause in my school. It's called the personal leave of absence. And normally that's used for kids who are struggling with something that they well, they need to take a personal leave to deal with it on their own time and not be burdened by school. But there's also a little asterisk that says, or pursue academic and athletic opportunities not offered by the academy. And since the academy basically wasn't providing any athletic opportunities and their academic opportunities were basically contained within Zoom, we sent them a message or an email rather and asked, hey, can I go over to Europe where they're all in person and they have sports teams? and go do that for a year instead of torture myself through Zoom. And they said, well, we've never had a request quite like that. If you can figure it out, go for it. So the next thing I knew, we were calling the Icelandic embassy in, I think, D.C. and like, hey, can we get a visa to come over? And they said, no, you're crazy. So uh, <laughs> then we called the Icelandic Department of Education, and they gave us three schools to reach out to, and one of them eventually said yes. So they overrode the embassy. The school said, yes, you can come. Well, the school said yes. And then we went back to the Icelandic Department of Education and said, okay, so I'm technically an Icelandic student now. What do I do? And they said, we'll call the embassy. And we call the embassy and they're like, hey, can we have a visa? And Iceland's such a tiny country. We got the same person. And they're like, no, you crazy American. You can't. You guys are doing <laughs> terrible with COVID. And I said, ah, but I'm a student now. Uh, I said, oh, why didn't you say so? Here's your visa. See you in 24 hours. So wow. that's how we got over to Iceland during a pandemic. And, uh, you know, it was a really, really cool experience. What um, was it like? What did you do? Well, the first week I spent quarantining in Reykjavik. And Iceland at this time had about 300 cases for about 300,000 people for the whole country, that is. So the quarantine was, in essence, a suggestion. Nobody was wearing masks. It was basically a, hey, kind of stay put, please don't go anywhere crazy. So we spent a week in Reykjavik. I got to see a bunch of museums, a bunch of old historic sites. I got to see this, uh, this really, really old church from when Christianity was kind of first established in Reykjavik. It was just a lovely, lovely place. And then after that week, when I was cleared from my quarantine with two negative tests, we drove seven hours north of Reykjavik to the middle of nowhere. Well, middle of nowhere. It was, it was about 40 minutes outside of Iceland's second largest city of Akre? Akre? I cannot pronounce it. I didn't learn much <laughs> Icelandic while I was there. But anyways, so we check into the school and man, it's... We both went to Phillips Exeter, and I'm sure you remember that girls' dorms and boys' dorms were very separate, and I don't know what the visitations policy were like when you were there, 
or currently as I attend, it's kind of, you have to check in with the teacher, the door has to stay open, like, and they're very distinct, like there are girls dorms, there are boys dorms, we also have multi-gender dorms, but those are a little bit new, they're still kind of figuring that out, but in Iceland, that was the biggest difference I noticed. They didn't care. There was a boys' room and then a girls' room and then a girls' room and then a boys' room and then the floors were all mixed and matched. And they didn't care. They're like, "Look, you guys, you know, have fun, be safe." It was uh, very much so like a college campus in that regard. So that was very interesting, and it worked. You know, there was nothing crazy. There weren't giant parties all the time. It was very respectable and very great. People weren't getting pregnant right and left. Well, we had a condom dispenser in the hallway for free. I think that solved that problem. Yes, that was the chief difference that I noticed. And I really wasn't there for all that long because, you know, part of my ADHD is that I'm very impulsive and very like, sure, let's go do it. What can go wrong? Well, not knowing the language, that's what can go wrong. And I was at a tiny school. My grade had about 30 kids in it. I think the school had about 30 kids total or 60, like something just super, super tiny. And so they didn't have any program for students who didn't speak Icelandic. And I, at that point, had a rudimentary knowledge of German. I'd taken French for two years, but that doesn't help you with Icelandic because Icelandic is extremely interesting in that it really hasn't changed for the last several hundred years because Iceland is this little, little tiny island in the middle of nowhere and no one really goes there. Not too much has happened and it's got 300,000 people. And so their language is largely intact from way back in the way when up to the point where they can read the original legal documents from the founding of their country. Wow. Several, several hundred years ago. And they can, and they only recently switched to the, um, the anglicized letters we know today, but very interesting. But I only ended up staying there a week. I had no idea what was going on. I was sitting in class and it took me, it took me until the end of that first week to figure out when sentences stopped. It was really tough. <laughs> well, it was, it was certainly a, an adventure. You know, I think people listening would wonder how, given your fast mind and your incredible need for high stimulation, how were you able to contend with Exeter? I mean, for those who don't know that school, it's it's famous for its academic rigor. It's a really tough school and you have to be able to concentrate for sustained periods of time to get by at Exeter. How, how did you manage to do that? Yeah. So I'm sure you remember the famous homework load. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. And class demand and all of that. I approach it in a very different way to most people. With ADHD, I can be very, very focused and very, very, and work very efficiently for little short periods of time until I get bored with whatever I'm doing. I'm like, okay, this is no interesting anymore. I'm going to go for a run. And so what I ended up doing is we have these little free periods throughout the day, whether it's after assembly, I got 20 minutes. Maybe after I'm done eating lunch, I got 30 minutes to sit down. And over the course of the day, that's probably about two hours, I'd say, if you, if you total it all up and you include your free periods. And so I made sure that whenever I had 20 minutes or 30 minutes that instead of, you know, screwing around, looking at Instagram or uh, talking, you know, nonsense with my friends, I go sit down and I go read or I go do two math problems or I I make a head start on any one of my homework uh, assignments so that by the time I get back to my dorm room, I don't have all that much to do. And then at that point, because I've spent so much energy throughout the day focusing on classes and focusing on those little segments where I can get work done. And then, you know, after school, we have sports and I'm rowing for two, three hours. And then I mean dinner. And by the end of the day, I'm absolutely exhausted. And so what I ended up doing is I just went to bed. I go to bed at eight or 9 p.m. 
super, super early. And then I wake up at four or five. And that really helps me in the way that I operate and, and that I love talking to people. I love, because that's a very high stimulating activity to me. No one's awake at 4 a.m., especially not in high school. So I have no one to text. I have no one to call. So that completely eliminates that distraction. I can't ADHD over to, to my phone. I mean, of course, there's social media, but just turn off your phone and throw your phone on your bed. But no one's going to call you at 4 a.m. And on top of that, I'm, I'm rested. And so, you know, my discipline, my willpower, my, my self-control is that it's going to be at its highest when I first wake up. And so at that point, I can force myself to sit down and like, all right, we're going to get this done. And as a reward, I end up working so efficiently at 4 or 5 a.m. that by the time 6 a.m. rolls around, I'm done. And the beauty in that is that the gym opens at 6 a.m. So I can go and hit a workout in before all of my classes start and before breakfast. And that way, I've stimulated myself. I've given myself a high energy activity. And that way, when I get to 8 a.m. math class, A, I'm awake. I'm ready to rock and roll. And B, I've stimulated myself to the point where I can go sit still. Like my legs hurt. I just did squats. I'm, I'm happy to sit still and I'm happy to kind of talk with everybody else. But on top of that, and part of the main reason that I did come to Phillips Exeter is the way in which we do do classes. You know, the Harkness method, Socratic seminar, we all sit around, we get a homework assignment that we do in our dorm rooms, and then we come to school, and instead of our teacher sitting there and talking at us for an hour, which is basically hell for anybody with ADHD, we get to sit there and we get to discuss, we get to debate. For listeners who don't know it, the, all the classes are taught at round tables. So it's perfect for someone with ADHD because someone is always looking at you. Exactly. So it, it holds your attention. Having a round, actually, most of them are big oval tables, not exactly round, but you are sitting looking at, at each other. And, and you, as you said, discussion and Socratic method. Yeah. So just, you know, fitting homework in where I can waking up early when I'm well rested and minimizing distractions. And then on top of that, I was able to choose an environment that suited itself better to me than a traditional method of schooling, which would be the, you know, the lecture style, sit in the rows, take notes and don't say anything or I'll slap your wrist with a ruler. That didn't work too well for me. No. Um, so I, I got myself to Phillips Exeter. So what are your hopes and dreams for the future? Do you have any, any idea where you'll be in 10 years? Well, I guess most of all, I'd like to lead a life of purpose. And I'm not quite sure what that means or what that looks like for me. Right now, there's a few things floating around in my head. I, uh, I want to run my own company. I'm not quite sure doing what exactly. But kind of the world of finance and personal wealth management is very attractive to me. I love people. I love talking to people. And I love taking care of people in one way that money makes a lot of sense to me. That whole world kind of clicks. And so if I can help people manage their own finances, plan for the future, plan for their kids, plan for their grandkids... That would be a very appealing line of work. On top of that, I've certainly thought about the military, talk about high stimulation. I'm thinking about either joining, I'm not quite sure what in specific, but I like to do something pretty aggressive. So I've thought about Marine Force Recon. I've thought about the uh, Navy SEALs. Uh, but my father, he also did a brief stint in the Israeli military. I've thought about joining one of their special uh, operations uh, units and seeing what they have to offer over there in the Middle East and returning to my Jewish roots and exploring some of my Jewish heritage. So I'm not quite sure what I want to do, but I know that uh, I've got a lot of things that I do want to do. And so hopefully I can get to them all by the time I, you know, turn 28. Well, you're a ton of enthusiasm. I actually did some work with the Navy SEALs and they've all got ADHD. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And their medication is danger. They said to me, they can't devise a training exercise that's dangerous enough to hold our attention. So we basically train by being out in the field facing 
live ammunition and life and death situations. That sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> you know that they get off on on danger. Well, you are just going to be a phenomenal contributor to the world, whether it's finance or the military or running a company or who knows, maybe you'll become a boat builder or a rocket ship designer, cool. you know, and, and why not? Uh, it is the ADD way to be unpredictable. So it's like the old line, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans, you know, <laughs> but you, you're on a wonderful course now. Thank you so much, Justin, for joining us. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to listeners of this podcast? Yeah, a lot of people will tell you they want to put you on medication or to, to try and force you to take some sort of amphetamine, some sort of stimulant so that you can fit into their box. But you can create a life and you can work to be in a place where you don't have to take pharmaceuticals to fit someone else's expectations of you. There is hope for you and you can, you can work towards whatever you want to work towards and do that without being forced to take drugs. There's a way I've done it. I don't take any medication. My father doesn't take any medication. It's all about what finding what works for you and figuring out how you work and then working with yourself. I just want to be careful, though, that we don't make people who do take medication feel bad about it. Because of course not. When medication works, it's an absolute godsend. And it, you know, it, it works like eyeglasses. It doesn't. It's not a chemical straitjacket. You don't take it so that you can be Joe normal. You'll never be Joe normal. You take it so that you can see clearly, so that you can focus. For some people, like you and me, I don't take medication either. We don't need it. But other people do need it. And you know, I just don't want them to think, oh, I'm somehow not living up to my promise by taking medication. It's when the meds work, they're a godsend. When they don't work, you shouldn't take them. And you're a fine example of someone who... Uh, doesn't need them and doesn't want them and doesn't take them and excels, you know, so. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I'm not a doctor. Don't take my advice as medical <laughs> advice. I'm just saying, well, it's worked for me. And hey, if you got something that's working for you and you go for it. That's my motto is whatever works as long as it's safe and it's legal. There you go. <laughs> You've found a wonderful way in, in your 18 years. You're on your way to a superb life of contribution and, and adventure. I, I can guarantee that. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. This is Dr. Ned Hallowell thanking you all for joining me. Please tell your friends about our podcast and thanking Justin Rigg for joining us on Dr. Hallowell's Wonderful World of Different. We would love to hear from you. Love, love, love to hear from you. Please. Send us your show ideas, suggestions, comments, critiques. Our email address is different at hallowellcenter.org. That's the word different at hallowellcenter.org. We live off of your emails, ideas, thoughts, criticisms, uh, and anything you'd like to send us. We, we'd love to have ideas for guests as well. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you, Justin Rigg. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. This is Ned Hallowell. Bye-bye for now.